Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another edition of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. Uh, Today is uh, May 18th, uh, 2020, or it will be uh, when this episode episode is posted. Uh, This is episode 13 of the Jesus Society Podcast, so we're continuing to um, get an episode up uh, every week, which is uh, my plan. And um, uh, hopefully uh, we'll just keep going like this and um, one day have a big, uh, a big archive here. Um, hope everybody's doing okay. Um, we're, we're doing okay in Middle Tennessee. Uh, got the garden planted. Um, everything's uh, com- coming up pretty well. I've got uh, cucumbers and uh, green beans and tomatoes, so pretty, uh, pretty marginal uh, little garden. But I've got some herbs spread in there. Um, but everything's working so far. So far, <laughs> as long as we get enough rain, I can keep the bugs back. But um, uh, you know, I like growing things. I've always, I've always liked growing things, um, planting trees and and uh, growing vegetables and and fruits and uh, just whatever. I, I like I like putting something in the ground and watching it grow over time. Um, just kind of my thing. Um, we're going to talk today about um, something that is that is really, really uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, we're, we're, we've been sort of talking about growing in intimacy with God, uh, kind of building on our um, story of the Bible um, um, talks that we had. Um, and this is... Uh, here's the thing. We live at the mercy of our ideas. And that has that is never more true than it when it comes to our ideas about God. If we if we think of, of God in a certain way, uh, it will color all of our expectations of him and and taint all of our reactions to what we perceive him to be doing or not doing uh, in our world. The thing that has changed the trajectory of my life the most, at least when it comes to to my life with God, moving me from um, believing that I had to appease God by my efforts and by trying to have everything figured out and being right about everything, to learning how I could live inside the affection the Father already has for me and, and to let that really just be enough has been learning what it means to live loved. God loves you. It's what we believe as Christians. It's what we tell others. It really is the most important thing, and it is why I end every podcast with the reminder that you are greatly loved. Paul will say it this way in in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Unfortunately, when when you say God loves you, um, many people hear that and they, and they think like we've heard that so much, right? Um, that many people hear that and they think, well, yeah, I know that. You know, I I know John three sixteen. I could probably recite it, right? Um, I, I know that. Um, we sing about God's love in Sunday school, uh, theologically. Uh, the idea that God is love has been just cemented into our doctrine. 
But many of us have just never really learned to live as if he really did love us. The, the, way we, the way we live and move and have our being in this world, the way we make decisions, the way, the way we interact with others, the, um, the way we do our jobs, if, it's, if, it's, if, it's not, if our lives are not undergirded with this profound conviction that God loves me, it, it changes a lot about the way we live in this world, okay? Um, and if we, if we really believe that, it changes things, right? There's a, there's a difference. Um, but many of us have just never learned to live as if he really did love us. And so we live captive to things like fear and shame and frustration not that there's not some frustration anyway. Um, and sometimes we find ourselves hiding from God, much as Adam and Eve did in the garden. See, there's a, there's a huge difference between the knowledge of God's love and actually living in that love. There's a, there's a huge difference between the, the intellectual acknowledgement that God loves us and the lived reality of moving through your life as if you actually believed that to be true. I used to gauge God's love by how well the circumstances in my life were playing out. If things were good, he loves me. When circumstances turned dark or difficult, he loves me not. It's like picking the, picking the flower, right? When you were a kid, you'd pick the daisies and you'd pull petals off. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And wherever you landed was where you were, right? For me, I was constantly moving back and forth between those two conclusions, you know, based on how things were going in my life. And if I'm honest, I was probably spending more time, more of my time in the he loves me not column because I didn't always see my life going as well as I thought it should. All of that has changed for me in the last dozen years or so. And what my family and I have experienced since has been much, much, much closer to fulfilling every hope and desire that we, we had for what life in Christ was meant to be and how we could live alongside others in that same joy. And, and no, life has not been easy since then. It's not like um, we got on track and everything started falling in place and, and we got a big bank account and, and everything's just wonderful. no. We have known some very dark and painful times over the last dozen years. We have been hurt deeply um, at the hands of, of, of people who should have loved us most. But we have never been alone in those times in the way that we felt like we were alone before those times. We have been able to find our way into the reality of God's love and follow him very imperfectly through those painful things in a way that has transformed us in the process. It is a much, much, much better way to live our lives individually and, and together. So how do we get there? How do, we, how do we become more convinced of God's love to the point that we'll actually trust him and live differently because of that? How, that, that, we'll, that, our, 
that, that everything about our lives is colored by that. Well, for me, the book of Ephesians has been helpful here. Now, when you look at the book of Ephesians, this is true in all of Paul's letters, but it's really clear in the book of Ephesians. Um, chapters 1 through 3, I'm going to kind of give you a little overview real quick so you can kind of see where this fits. Chapters 1 through 3 contain a lot of what uh, biblical scholars call indicative statements. So if you know your, if you know your language and your parts of speech and stuff, um, indicative verbs are verbs that make statements about what God has done on, on behalf of the believer in, in this case. So, so things like uh, God is this, God did this, God knows you, God loves you, right? Those are, those are indicative statements. They, they just make statements about who God is and what he has done, right? They just, this, is, this is a statement of, of fact, of reality. Those are indicative verbs, okay? God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, Paul will say in Ephesians 1, okay? That is an indicative statement. It just indicates something. That's chapters 1 through 3. Chapters 4 through 6, four through six on the other hand, contain a lot of uh, imperative verbs. Now, like I said, all of Paul's letters have a mix of imperative and, and indicative. Paul usually... Um, builds his theological arguments on indicative statements. This is what is. He reminds um, his readers, uh, the churches that he writes to, of this is who God is. This is the this is the truth about all this, right? And then, based on that, he'll say, "Do this, do that." Okay, those are those are imperatives. They're they're command verbs. They're verbs that that call for a response. Okay, um, so. Uh, in chapters 1 through 3, there's indicative statements. In chapters 4 through 6, there's imperative statements. There are covenant obligations, the things that God expects us um, to, to be and to do in a life that is worthy of, of all those things um, that make up the, the indicative statements, right? Yeah, in, in a life um, based in the reality that God has blessed us um, with every blessing in the heavenly realms, Therefore, since all these things are true, he'll say in chapter 4, verse 1, do this. And he'll start in with the, the imperatives, okay? So right in the middle of those two sections, in the last part of chapter 3, in this kind of transitional passage between the indicative verbs of chapters 1 through 3 and the imperative verbs of chapter 4 through 6, Paul is going to... he is going to... Um, He's going to talk a lot about the power of God in the context of a prayer for the Ephesians, okay? So, so I would invite you to get your Bible out and let's, let's look at this passage because it's, honestly, um, I'm the only one that I've ever heard make this point, um, which is not to say nobody else has, but I've not heard it. Um, and I think it's really, really, really important. So... Um, so we're going to take this in, in chunks, okay? So starting in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth um, is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit. 
Okay, so Paul, right, right when he's starting here, he tells the Ephesians that he is praying for them. And uh, he is praying that they would be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. Okay? Now, just a few verses down, in verse, verse 20, Paul's going to close out this section. Excuse me. <clears throat> he's going to close out this section by saying, uh, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so so right at the beginning of this little section, and, and again, right at the end, Paul mentions God's power. And there is there are two things absolutely fascinating to me about this. The first is the venue in which Paul asks God to exercise his power. And the second is what he hopes that God's power will accomplish. Okay? So let's take this this venue piece first. Now here's the thing. Typically, I think for a lot of us, we we want God to exercise his power. Right, we 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 beg for that in prayer, and usually it's involving fixing the, the messes of life. Right, um, we we want God to step in and fix things and make things right, and 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 heal this person and let this person not die and um, help me not lose my job and um, help me be able to pay this month's rent. You know, like step in and and in a strong, powerful way fix this, right? Um, I want to believe that God is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than, than all we ask or imagine, and I want him to do it now, <laughs> okay? I want, I want decisive action, <laughs> the, the sweeping away of my enemies, the, the innocent rescued from evil, the, the crushing of the opposition, uh, abundant provision, dramatic, immediate power, and I think most of us are the same way. That's what, that's what we want. But you know, I don't always see God doing things like that. Occasionally, he does, to be sure. But not nearly as often as I'd like. And there's, and there's lots of reasons for that, I suppose. But, you know, things like domestic violence and emotional abuse and cancer and drug addiction and greed and corruption and all the things that flow from those things, those things are, are all far too common to suit me. And I would love to see God exercise his power to, to step in and, and dramatically fix those things. But I don't see that nearly as often as I'd like. That's why I think that it is interesting that rather than ask God to, to use his power to fix all of the, the pain in the world of the Ephesians, Paul is asking him to exercise power in the inner lives of the Christians in Ephesus. See, I find that fascinating. In fact, it is, it is my contention this is one of these hills that I that I I think I would die on. Okay. The venue 
in which God is most eager to exercise his power on our behalf is in our inner lives. Now, now don't miss this, okay? Don't miss this. God is most willing to move with power where? In our hearts and in our souls. And about this time, if, you're, if, you're, if you haven't rolled your eyes and just turned me off at this point, you should be asking, to what end? Okay, so we skipped a few verses uh, in, our, in our reading in, in uh, Ephesians 3. So let's go back and, and look at them. So I'm going to start in verse 16 again, okay? Uh, Paul says, uh, Ephesians 3, 16, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your being through his spirit. Oh, hang on. Getting right in the middle of that and my brother calls. <laughs> um, he, he, may, he, he may listen to this and, and hear it and uh, he'll know that it was him. Okay. So let me back up. Let me start that again. Because uh, I want to get this in context. Um, you know, when I, when, I, when I start these podcasts, I, I turn off, you know, all the little things. I, you know, I have this little thing I go through, and I try to turn off all the things that might interrupt me. You know, I close the door, I put the dog in the other room, and I do all this stuff. But, but I, today I forgot. Usually I turn my phone off. I forgot to do that today. I'm a flawed human being, right? Okay. So Ephesians 3.16, Paul says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height of Sorry, what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul is praying that God may grant the Ephesians to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their, in their inner being. And that, and that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And he's, he's praying that even though they're already rooted and firmly established in love, okay, so, so they already know something about God's love, right? They know John 3.16, right? Um, but even though they're, they're rooted and firmly established in love, Paul prays that they may be, be able to comprehend what is the length of, and width, and height, and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love in a way that surpasses knowledge so that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now this is really, really important stuff here. Okay, uh, Paul's praying again that they would receive power in their inner being. That, that Christ would dwell with them and show them how utterly expansive 
How, how long, how wide, how high, how deep is his love for us? And he tells us that, that, that coming to, to a knowledge of that love, which, which he says surpasses knowledge. So to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. He's talking about, right? Two, two times he uses the word knowledge there. Two different kinds of knowledge. To, to, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. To, he's talking about having a, 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 an inner, like, a, like a, an experience of God's love. Um, I know that my wife loves me. Um, it's like the, the old joke, right? Um, you know, I told my wife I loved her, and if that ever changes, I'll let her know, <laughs> right? Um, I know my wife loves me. She tells me. But, but I really know it because I've experienced it, right? There is, a, there is a power in experience that goes beyond words, right? Paul, Paul is praying for these Ephesians that they would have, have a, a knowledge of God, a settled conviction of it, which, which just has to come through an experience that, that is far above head knowledge, Right, again, you can have an intellectual um, acknowledgement of of something, and it's different than a lived reality of it. Okay, um, so this is this is really really important. Paul says that knowing God's love in in the way that he's talking about will do far more for us than mere understanding mere head knowledge, okay? So the most life-changing way God can exercise his power on our behalf is to dwell with us and help us fully comprehend and experience the depth of his love for us. Again, I'm going to say that again. The most life-changing way God can use his power on our behalf is to dwell within us to help us fully comprehend and experience the depth of his love for us. That sounds so simple as to be ridiculous, doesn't it? And yet I believe this to be the most profound impact of Christianity, one which many, many, many Christians have never experienced. We, we have been so good. I'm about to go on a rant here. I'm going to try to hold myself back. We have been so... Um, we have been so obsessed in, in many of our churches with, with acquiring head knowledge. We study the Bible, right? Um, three or four times a week, you know, we, have, um, we, go to, we go to church for Bible studies, right? And I, you know, we've spent a lot of time in Bible in, in this podcast. I'm, I am not knocking Bible. I think it is, it is absolutely essential to your life with God. But I think, I think in a lot of our churches, at least a lot that I've experienced, and I've been a minister in a lot of these, and I've done this, so I know this. We have focused so much on the acquisition of knowledge as if merely knowing more would change us. And I know there's a knowledge component to transformation. I know that. And I'm not denying that. But, but it's not the only thing. Okay, um, the, the intimate 
experience of God's everlasting love is the thing that absolutely transforms and energizes and heals our broken and desperate lives. Now, does, does, it, does it fix every problem? Nope. Does it, does it settle all scores? Not even close. But it gives us a safe, peaceful, and even joyous place to stand amidst the chaos. You know, we think that if, if we could just eliminate the chaos, our lives would be perfect. Well, what if God has a different way? What if he allows you to, 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 by his power, to be so convinced of his love for you and, and all the things that, that, that will flow from that, like his providence, his care, right? That you can walk into any situation, regardless of how chaotic it is and how painful, with a, with a peace, right? You ever, you ever marvel at Jesus and how he can walk into any situation, and it doesn't matter how desperate it is, how broken it is, how, and he's just got to calm. You know, they're in the they're in the boat in the middle of the lake, and there's a the storm uh, raging, and these fishermen who have been in this lake all their lives and have seen storms, they're terrified out of their gourds. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. He's not worried at all. At all. He's got a calm in the midst of that. Wouldn't you like that? There's, a, there's another way to handle pain and difficulty and chaos and misery other than just help it go away, Lord. There's a prayer that says, help me be, help me be peaceful in the midst of it. Help me, help me not to lose sight of your love for me, even though... I'm in a situation that 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 it feels like like nobody loves me, right? Um, this is the thing that can absolutely transform and energize and heal us, um, because it gives us a peace, a, a peaceful, joyous place to stand amidst the chaos. It allows us. And I use this term a lot. It allows us to rest, to rest in a love that transcends the messy circumstances of life. Now, make no mistake, this is, I'm not talking about life inside some little joy bubble, right? Where we're always singing, I am happy today, oh yes, I'm happy today, right? I'm not talking about something like that. It's not life inside some little joy bu- bubble. Life with God is not a disengagement from the pain and messiness of real life. It's also not about escape. What it is, is power. Strength. Strength to be able to walk through this life secure and unassailable in the certainty that somehow, in ways you simply cannot yet fathom or even see, your Father, who loves you desperately, has got this. And it just is not dependent on you. Your security comes from the certainty of His love 
not from the certainty of how this mess will work out. And you are certain of his love because it is a love you will have experienced, not something you just read about. Paul is right in his prayer for the Ephesians. I am sure that what he asked God for is exactly what the Ephesians needed. And I am as serious as a heart attack when I tell you that it is exactly what I needed. I am learning to live differently now. And having tried it both ways, I can tell you this way is much, much, much better. So so what difference does this make, really? Let's not forget that um, the original sin back in the garden was not so much disobeying God, but doubting God. Doubting that he's told them the full story, suspecting that he's holding something back, and a willingness to elevate and exercise our own independence and and self-determination to try and take charge of our own destiny. And that is clear when you read Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Eve says to the serpent, um, um, God says, if we eat of this tree, we'll surely die. And, And Satan, the serpent, says, oh, baloney. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Now, notice what Satan's doing there. He's casting doubt, right? Did he lie? Nope, not at all. They eat the fruit, the, the fruit and they really will know good and evil. But the implication is that God is holding something back from them. There is, there is something good that he hasn't given them. And why would God do that? Why would God hold back something good? This is, this is what they're, they're, they'd had to be thinking. Well, it's got to come down to a failure in God's love for us. I can't, I can't really trust God's love because here's, here's clearly to them, they think clearly, here's something good that God, God's holding back from us. You know, um, how could somebody who really loves us do that? That is the core of the doubt the serpent is sowing into their hearts. Does God really love me enough to give me what's best for me? And the pride and self-assertion to believe that we actually know what's best for us. And that is exactly what the enemy does to us all the time. He attacks us in exactly that way to make us question God's love and to assert our independence to get what we believe God doesn't love love us enough to give us. That, I'm absolutely convinced, is our constant struggle. Doubting the goodness and love of God in the face of the pressures and discomfort of life. And sorting that out is essential if we want intimacy with Him. Because something, something you'll hear me say a lot here is that we will never obey someone we don't trust. And we will never trust someone who we are not 100% convinced loves us. So that's our struggle, isn't it? And that plays right into the struggle for intimacy with God. Sometimes it comes right down to doubt, doubting God's goodness, doubting his love for us, doubting his willingness to draw us into community for intimacy. How do we view God? As I see it, we've got three options. You can view God as a, as a dictator 
a, a lawmaker, somebody who is who is really only concerned with governing behavior, and boy, have a lot of us bought into that. You can you can um, uh, you can see God as as kind of a, a judge, right? Um, someone who who uh, he may pardon us, but then he just sort of lets us go our way. Or you can see God as a loving father, one who seeks intimacy with his children and provides a, a loving community, which includes, which includes love, but it also includes guidance and it includes provision. What we believe about God is important. And sometimes the enemy uses our experiences to cast doubt on the goodness of God. And, and you've got two choices here. You can see and determine God's character and goodness in light of and through your own experiences. In other words, if, I, if, I'm, if things are going bad, I can, I can look at that little flower and, well, he loves me not. Or you can see and determine your experiences in light of and through God's character and goodness. There's a, there's a verse in the book of Lamentations. No, no, we, we, we never read Lamentations. We should. Um, that I love. It's Lamentations 3, 19 through 26. Here's what it says. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isn't that great? He, what he's saying there is in the midst of, like I, 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 I've experienced misery and pain and, and there is a way for me to just, just allow that to consume me. But I'm going to make a different choice. In the midst of that, I'm going to remember that God loves me. I'm going to choose to remind myself that, that this pain I'm experiencing doesn't reflect on God's love for me. In fact, God's love for me is, is more certain than this pain. You will never obey one whom you do not trust. And you will never trust one whom you aren't convinced loves you absolutely. And the Father loves you absolutely. The difference is again, is one of intellectual acknowledgement versus lived reality. God wants us to experience his love, to walk with him, to get to know him, not just read about him and acknowledge it. The Hebrew writer will talk about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Wayne Jacobson, who has been a huge help to me in sorting all this out. In fact, I've got a I've got a, a book in the show notes today, um, and I've had it in there for a couple of weeks, but I'm, 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 I'm going to put it again. Uh, the, his book is one, one of the first books he, he wrote. He used to be an editor for Christianity Today, and he's got a fantastic 
podcast called The God Journey. Um, I would love to think Wayne <laughs> would find his way and hear, hear my podcast someday. Um, I think that's a long way from having it. But I, I, I love, I love him. I love his heart. Um, but he wrote this little, little excellent little book called He Loves Me, and I'll have a link in the in the show notes for this. But he says this in that book. He says the friendship Jesus shared with his disciples was the model for the relationship that he extends to you. He wants to be the voice that steers you through every situation, the peace that sets your heart at rest in trouble, and the power that holds you up in the storm. He wants to be closer than your dearest friend and more faithful than any other person you've ever known. I know it sounds preposterous. How can mere humans enjoy such a friendship with the Almighty? God, who created with a word all that we see, do I dare think that he would know and care about the details of my life? Isn't it preposterous to even imagine that this God would take delight in me, even though I still struggle with the failures of my flesh? It would be presumptuous if it were not his idea. He is the one who offered to be your loving father sharing life with you in ways no earthly father ever could. Trusting God is not about outcomes, folks. Um, this life was never going to be one of ease and convenience. Convenience. In this life, you will have trouble, Jesus said. He couldn't have been clearer about that. Instead, Life is about an engaged relationship with a father who loves you deeply and who will walk with you, nurture you, and care for you through whatever life dishes out. The father wants to provide for you a, a, a peace that passes understanding in the midst of the pain because he's in it with you. Not everything's going to turn out the way you want or the way God wants or the way others want. But on this day, with what little we know, in whatever need and challenge you have, try asking God this. Father, how do I trust you today? What is it about your love that I don't know that if I knew it, I would trust you in this place? How can I live in love and joy and fullness beyond the circumstantial, the circumstantial outcomes that I think my joy depends on. That is the journey that God has called us on to all to be within, with Him. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I uh, hope you'll join us again next week and the week after that and the week after that. Um, I have uh, just created a Facebook group for the Jesus Society podcast. Uh, I said I was going to do this a long time ago, and I've, I've been putting it off, and I, I just did it. Um, so I would invite you to visit us there. Um, just search Jesus Society podcast. Look for our, our little logo with the lion on it, and I'm sure you'll find it. It's, it's a private group, um, so you'll have to ask to join, and there's a, there's a kind of a, a little code of conduct on there um, that you'll need to agree to. 
Um, this is not a debate group because I just do not have the, the appetite anymore for, for big, heavy doctrinal battles. Um, it's a, it's, what I want it to be is a place where all of us on this journey can come together and share, share what it's like to learn to follow God in new ways. Okay, so feel free uh, once you're on there to suggest topics for episode. Um, feel free to ask any questions you have, and uh, and we'll sort this walk out together. Okay, uh, we'd appreciate it if you'd tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us uh, wherever you go to get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. I hope you'll be back. And remember, you really are unbelievably loved.